0: This is Christine McCormick-Little, and today I have Kathleen McClaskey, the co-author of How to Personalize Learning, a Practical Guide for Getting Started and Going Deeper, and Make Learning Personal, the What, Who, Wow, Where, and Why. Thanks for joining us today, Kathleen. Kathleen, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, your journey in education, and how you became an author specializing in personalized learning.
1: Okay, so um, this is Kathleen McClaskey. I live here in southern New Hampshire and um, my journey in education is pretty long um, and let me just tell you how I began. So many um, years ago I I received a degree in elementary education and uh, didn't actually end up teaching uh, at the beginning and ended up going into industry. And um, one of the things that I've always done is actually uh, train other people um, in all the different jobs that I happen to have. But I, um, back in 1983, I actually uh, found a program uh, in computers and education locally here in Southern New Hampshire at Riviera College. And um, I was very intrigued. In 1983, computers really weren't being used by too many people uh, in the classroom. Uh, there was some uh, assortment of Apple IIEs and some IBM's and stuff like that. But um, I had a few courses, and uh, let me just tell you, back in 1983 was the introduction of the mouse. Uh, <laughs> so that sort of the age. That <laughs> was the first year. I remember see, uh, the professor saying, "This is a new device that you can attach to your computer," and that was 1983. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I started off. Um, in uh as a Title I math tutor part time because I had children at home. And then I went in and I got my actually my degree. I went from Riviera College to Leslie College at that time in an outreach program and got my degree in nineteen eighty eight in computers and education. But I always had this vision uh around that this technology. It wasn't called technology, let me just say that. Uh, that I saw it as a great equalizer. I saw this as an incredible tool for learning. Okay, and um, and I've always had that vision. I, I just have really stuck with that vision for all those years, um, for almost close to 35 years now, and um, and it brings me really to today. But the types of jobs that I had uh, along the way was a computer teacher and um, and. Junior high school, where I actually created learner-centered environments. Uh, Seymour Papert um, was sort of my um, the the one person who really spoke to me about teaching and learning, and his constructivist theories really I proved out in the classroom. And those his theories really supported learner-centered environments. Um, and so, so that journey began there. The uh, kids actually did take ownership to their learning, uh, and they were highly engaged in in, in, in learning. Um, I went from there. I became a technology integration specialist, um, both in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And then I actually went into a K to 12 director of technology positions, uh, both in Massachusetts and in New Hampshire, because I live right here on the border um, of, of the states. So. Uh, in 2001 I actually left uh, K-12 and decided to go out on my own and um, I ended up developing my first company around, um, really around this, this philosophy of mine that we could really use tools to really level the playing field for all learners. And so that's, again, that same vision of that it was a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, really set up a whole professional development program, uh, I used universal design for learning uh, for the first time in 2001, developed graduate courses around universal design for learning, and then uh, used it in my practice with school districts so that at all times that, you know, we were always using this particular lens to uh, understand who learners are in the classroom. And uh, and then use it in, in instruction. So how do you universally design instruction? How do you provide the tools to support all to support a variety of learners in the classroom? What type of strategies and methods should you use in your instruction um, to really reach the maximum amount of learners and engage them? Mm-hmm. So um, I used UDL from uh, about 2001 up till today. <laughs> but I was always focused at... Um, we really needed to be able to teach all learners. We need to provide them the tools so they can become independent and self-directed learners. Um, And so that really folded nicely into what I do today and about being a co-author of two books, um, Make Learning Personal and How to Personalize Learning. And all of this really is the foundation to both of those books is universal design for learning and how we can understand who learners are um, and we actually developed uh, what's called the UDL Lens of Access, Engage, and Express. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in another question, but um, that UDL story, the story of using technology um, to really become the great equalizer, uh, we can realize all of that today. We virtually have all the tools to really level the playing field for every learner uh, to become independent and self-directed. Um, so that really should be our goal. And again, I'll talk a little bit about that in um, well, uh, a
0: I, I agree with you. In fact, whenever I think of personalized learning, I immediately think of, of you and Barbara Wright. To me, those, <laughs> those two will be forever paired in my brain. And um, so when I started blogging, I mean, when I would see personalized learning, you guys were the first person, and that's, that's how you and I connected for anyone listening. is, is through Twitter. I actually, um, I was not to you Twitter handle. Barbara's is super easy to find. Um, so I tweeted out to Barbara and then um, heard from you. So it is, you guys in my opinion are um, really essential in this space. You guys have helped to me the books that, that you and Barbara have authored simplify personalized learning into actionable steps. And I think yeah. that's the challenge. When you think of personalized learning, it seems overwhelming. And it seems like, I can't do this. And, and you break it down. And you use, you know, best practices like with UDL, especially, you know, in, in your second book. And it is, um, it just makes it so easy to make it actionable and to even just start small and try a, a few little things just to get to know your learner better and then, um, you know, continue. Kind of following a journey to and learning in your classroom. So our next question is for schools at the beginning of their journey in personalization, which you know I would say there are many. What advice would you give them?
1: Wow. Well, uh, I've actually recently had a question by a school, um, a high school, uh, where they really want to move to personalized learning. So. So here's some of the advice I give people about how uh, to begin. Um, first of all, find a, um, people that are interested in that in your school because uh, you need to have a core group of people uh, and you need to begin the conversation. So the essential element in creating really a foundation uh, in a school is to start building the conversation around it. And um, when Barbara and I wrote this first book, um, make learning personal. It was around our five Ws course. Five w is a personalized learning course, and that really uh, helps you really see all aspects of personalized learning. And so um, we uh, we we still we offer a standalone course, but we do not offer like a full blown course where we're doing the webinars. Um, but um, what I've done recently is that I basically have open it up um, for people to take a virtual book study with me uh, Mm -hmm. around that book. Uh, Because uh, I want them to read it. I want them to have questions. It's an opportunity to ask me questions, but also an opportunity for me to ask questions, for them to think deeper about this. Because the essential element is that you need to build a conversation Mm -hmm. and a common language that everyone agrees to. around personalized learning um, because you have to have you have daily conversations, you have to be able to talk with your peers. Uh, so that's like the very, very beginning. The next step, by the way, would certainly be um, bringing in stakeholders around this and building those conversations so that you can begin sort of sharing, developing a vision, and actually that's mm-hmm. in Chapter 1 of our book called How to Personalized Learning. And saying that vision um, around personalized learning or we'll even call learner centered environment and that and that that vision becomes something that everyone agrees to. This is we're saying parents, teachers, admins, mm-hmm. kids, uh certainly kids that should be involved in this, community members, and take that time to do that because um, and this isn't a fast process. Okay, because you need to bring people in, you need to say, you know, we'd really like to introduce this and, and by the time that you've developed some really good language around that, now you can bring people in and start talking about uh really the vision that you would have around that. The other thing is is a set of beliefs um, around teaching, learning and community. What do you want for your learners? What do you want to be able to, for your learners to be able to do in the end? your Mm -hmm. school district. Um, That's so important because teachers are often, um, things are often proposed uh, in schools, uh, new ideas and stuff like that. You want everyone on board around those beliefs, okay, because a teacher's not going to put the time, the effort to create a learner-centered environment if, in in, uh, in fact, they don't have necessarily you know um uh set up a lease in which they can say you know what we all agree to this and this is where we're going forward so um that's those are those foundational um mm-hmm. skills uh, foundational mm-hmm. steps I mean to really help uh, a school or a school district really move forward a lot of times what happens is that maybe one school in the district is moving towards personalized learning and then another one thinks about it uh, too, and wants to move in that direction, and, and, mm-hmm. and in some cases, an entire district really wants to move, and uh, we've actually have done that work with school districts where it's it was a totally K-12 um, mm-hmm. movement, and everyone needs to really have that common language down. Um, we've had one school district where um, where we did our, our 10-week course. Uh, the superintendent was there, principals were there, teachers were there. They're all talking to each other, all conversing. We have a set of great activities around that the five W's. And the five W's is, uh, of course, the what, who, why, where, and why, personalized learning. Because in the end, you need to be able to say why you're doing this. Um, and that's everyone. <laughs> everyone needs to understand why you're doing this. And uh, and those that vision and belief um, really help. Uh, in the end, um, really drive it forward, uh, because on a daily basis, you're really changing the culture in the school, and one of my famous quotes is that um, you can't change the culture until you change the language. Um, I love it. And so that's importance of language, the common language and understanding, so that no one has a different understanding than the other. You know. Right. So foundation. Right. Common um, vision and a set of beliefs. That's the beginning. Great.
0: Oh, thank you. And in, in our district, we um, we're a fairly large district. We have about 7,300 students. So we don't generally do things in math. We generally use cohorts, kind of a, a research and development team, and then and build out from there. We have also we have some really great, strong organic teams. In our district, mm-hmm. we have one, they're, they're called the Meraki's and they're studying personalized learning and, and I blog about them frequently, but they get together and study in someone, well, Carrie Harris, you know her, she's mm-hmm. a, a, leader, a thought leader in this space and they actually get together in her home and, and really um, talk about strategies and what's working and what isn't working and it helps them, it, it kind of smooths their fire. It's, it's their mm-hmm. own initiative and um, they have established their own common language. So building that mm-hmm. out, hers has organically grown. It as started as very right. small and then, you know, I think she probably has three to four times the number of members that she once did. So she said her house is almost too small now to accommodate that. She has a large house, so. <laughs> um. <laughs> so she, uh. you know, she's like, go big or go home now at this point.
1: Well, I'm glad that you reflected on what, what you're doing in, in your school district because it really is different everywhere. And sometimes you have very small school districts, or sometimes you have large ones, or sometimes you just have a single school that that wants to do this. So, um, and sometimes it's even a, even a group of teachers <laughs> that have yes. this where they want this is what they want to do. So, um, it's um, it's great that we have that camaraderie that and commitment uh, to do this because, um, you know what, believe it or not, parents are going to notice and and community members Mm -hmm. are going to notice after a while and they're going to be asking, you know, how come we're not everywhere else, you know, so, um, but it takes um, major leadership, by the way, for really this to happen. Um, Right. I was just talking with the people from the Lindsay School District a few days ago and, um, And, and um, they basically have a very diverse uh, population and a high poverty level, and they've been highly successful in creating uh, learner-centered environments. Uh, but the level of commitment by everyone in that school district is evident. Um, so it can really happen with really any population. That's the that's the point I want to make. That um, that this is a this is something that. If you have that level of commitment by a core group of leaders, then anything re- you can really change the world <laughs> in your schools. So.
0: Right. That's that's great. So, Kathleen, can you explain a little bit of how you help teachers and learners use the EDL lens of access, engage, and express to develop agency?
1: Well, that you know that's a really great question. Um, <laughs> And I actually in our in our current book, How to Personalize Learning, I'll just I'll refer to um, some chapters in there. But in um, first of all, in uh, we actually have a chapter, by the way, um, uh, just around agency and the seven elements of agency, and a lot of people um, may not realize that there's very specific characteristics of agency. And uh, we've actually have really created some really incredible graphics developed by Sylvia Duckworth to show these elements of agency across the stages of personalized mm-hmm. learning environments. And those people that are familiar with that, we've created the stages of personalized learning environments, but we've mm-hmm. updated in this particular book. So, but let me talk about the UDL lens of access, engagement, and express, and how it's used by both teachers and learners and how it really um, supports uh, the Learner Developing Agency. Uh, so let me just say that uh, UDL is a, a scientifically-based approach to personalized learning um, that is now defined in ESSA, and, um, and this is a really the great news, okay? But how we use uh, UDL um, is that we've basically took the three principles of universal design for learning uh, and we basically turned it into three words, access, engage, and express, so that it could easily be used by both teacher and learner in conversation about their learning. And um, that's really learning about anything in particular. So uh, I'll just explain a little bit more about what the terms mean. Uh, access is the way that we actually access and process information uh, into usable knowledge. This is um, one uh, very important and let me just say that we all have strengths and challenges in each one of these areas. Uh, the next one is engage. Uh, how, do we best, uh, how do we engage uh, with content? Again, um, there'll be strengths and challenges that we need to understand about ourselves. And um, we'll I'll talk about that in a few minutes. And express is how we best express what we know and understand, and we have to do that um, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a, these are all important elements for the teacher to know about their learners, but also for the learners to know about themselves. And so, some of the very first steps that a teacher can take is really we have what's called a learner profile, and um, and I'll explain. Uh, a really a three-step process um, that can help develop agency. So the first step is learner the learner profile. I do want to also point out, by the way, that we actually created a three-part blog series on personalizedlearning.com that really explains this three-step process. But in the learner profile, we actually are going to ask the learner to indicate what their strengths and challenges are, and how they access and process information how they engage with content, and how they express what they know and understand. We also want to know what a learner's passions are, what mm-hmm. their talents are, what their interests are, because we need to always understand what we call the affective side of learning. And um, we have to know this about the learners so um, that we can, you know, make those connections uh, with the learner. And um, when a learner actually does this profile, um, the teacher's also um, thinking about um, this child as well, but she's going to find out most or he's going to find out most of their information using the learner profile that the learner completes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do with all of that? So in the next step of the three-step process is, um, I'll just go back one minute. Once the teacher and the learner, uh, you know, can talk about the learning, then this relationship is actually d- started. Uh, and now the learner can actually develop um, some really good skills uh, to become more self-directed. But they're also at the same time, once they understand who they are as learners, they can self-advocate for their learning. Okay? And uh, nothing is better when a child has developed a level of self-confidence about okay. who they are as learners um, what does that learner profile do for the learner in, the, in addition to everything else? Is it helps validate who they are, as who they are on this planet, you know, uh, and that how they learn is certainly okay because we all have strengths and challenges um, right. in how we work. And we should never, ever use learning styles because learning styles virtually has no evidence that's ever been effective in the last 40 years, okay? This is using the Neurosciences. UDL is based on the Neurosciences how we learn. So when the teacher and learner can actually talk about who they are as learners, they could actually take a, a, an, um, a strength or a challenge, okay, and actually develop a goal so this learner becomes more self-directed. So because we want learners um, to become experts on their own learning, mm-hmm. right? A big, that child is one day going to walk out the schoolhouse door and need to have choices for a college career or life and they need to be able to know who they are as one and have a set of skills to be self-directed so they have those choices. When we don't provide the choices and all those, um, those skills that I'm talking about is really to help everyone to develop agency. And agency means a child that is independent can monitor their own progress, can talk about their learning, and um, and for the audience, um, let me just say that this actually needs to start very early on, um, from the, at the kindergarten level, first grade mm-hmm. level, um, mm-hmm. because agency is not something that's developed overnight. It can be developed um, as kids get older. But if you can imagine um, a child that is confident in their learning, is developing skills to support their learning, and that child is entering their classroom, how wonderful that would be, okay? (laughs) Because now we don't have um, we don't have a focus around agency. Um, I do want to also mention that if someone wants to really sort of um, read an article, um, recently I wrote an article for Educational Leadership. And if you, the title of that article is Personalization and UDL, The Perfect Match, uh, you'll actually get a really good sense about uh, what happens when you actually use this particular lens um, and to help everyone to develop agency. Um, I do want to point out that the teacher now really has a really great idea who, once she does this with the learners, and let me just say that if you if you take the time to do this, um, that in building that relationship and understanding every learner, then it's really going to impact your instructional practice. Mm-hmm. And in our book, we actually apply universal design for learning that you do a around instructional design and lesson mm-hmm. design, uh, and it's a very easy process mm-hmm. uh, to use. And it can be used, um, it will be a part of your daily practice. And uh, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons the words access, engagement, and express, so that you can sort of really keep that in mind because um, you have to um, be thinking who your learners are in order to right. be, create more effective instructional uh, strategies in the classroom. Um, and this is uh, really proves out, you know, across those different levels from the, the learner-developing agency to the teacher-developing really good instruction for all the learners in the classroom. Um, and it's um, one of the things that I always recommend is for teachers to do their own profile. <laughs> and right. Because uh, we are all learners. And uh, I just want to sort of point out that we really never use the word um, student ever um, anywhere uh, in our book. Because, um, and we're very intentional in using the word learner mm-hmm. because one of us is a learner. Um right. And we are not, um, uh, students have a totally different implication than a learner has. And we, oh, first of all, we want every, you know, teacher to enter the classroom and see um, a group of learners. Right. And we want every child to see the learner in themselves. Mm-hmm. Because often children, uh, stop seeing themselves as learners and, um unbeknownst sometimes by teachers, uh, especially children who may have struggled, um uh, kids that may have, um maybe their, their, maybe their social life or emotional, mm-hmm. um, experiences, mm-hmm. allow them to see themselves as learners, mm-hmm. Um we need to get the um, the terminology learner back into the classroom. And um, it's so empowering uh, for the learner to talk about who they are and how mm-hmm. they learn.
0: Uh, right.
1: We need a time to do that because we cannot devote agency to learners until they understand who they are as learners. And um, we need to work uh, at... Promising agency to every learner, and um, that's sort of my challenge to anyone out there um, that's listening to this podcast today: is to um, to consider a promising agency for every learner in your classroom. Um, that is an incredible goal, and uh, and can be the driver in what you do on a daily basis. and um, And the, and if you can imagine, kids self-advocating and actually really helping develop a set of skills to be Mm self-directed, how wonderful that would be. Now, I want to talk about the other two elements. So the first one is the learner profile. Mm -hmm. And the next one is the personal learning backpack. And uh, I've sort of alluded to some of that. But the personal learning backpack is really a set of tools, apps, learning skills and strategies, okay, um, that you actually are articulating to support who you are as a learner, okay, around the very specific areas of access, engagement, and express. Um, and, and so you may want to take uh, a challenge or you may want to take a challenge and say, what what is it that I can do or what types of tools are available uh, that could actually support this challenge? And what type of skills do I need to develop with that tool? to support my mother. Um, Those are the things that you want in that backpack. Okay, so that begins that conversation mm-hmm. uh, around a particular piece. Now, in the end you're going to develop a personal learning plan. Um, you're going to set um, a, a goal uh, around um, maybe learning how to use a tool, but then you're also going to actually create a set of action steps on how you're going to uh, actually achieve that goal and actually you know, how you're going to measure that you actually, um, uh, how you're progressing in achieving that goal. So you need to, you need to really know how you're going to measure that, uh, mm-hmm. in the end. And that really is, uh, a conversation between the teacher and the learner. Alright, mm-hmm. and that's something you want to check on, you know, probably at least maybe once a week, um, mm-hmm. depending what type of goal it is. It could be a longer term goal and it could be obviously a short term goal. So mm-hmm. in the personal plan you can have access goals, you can have, en- you can have engaged goals, you can have express goals, and the other types of goals in the personal learning plan, which is uh, uh, somewhat generic in some, um, in some personal learning plans that currently exist, is of course college and career goals. You also want to have a personal goal because nothing is more motivating than setting a personal goal and achieving a personal goal. Uh, and then finally a citizenship goal because we want children early on to develop goals on how they're going to really contribute to our democracy and how they become good citizens in our country. And um, those are, th- that's something that's really, uh, really dear to my heart because I do a lot of advocacy work, uh, around, uh, educational legislation. So um, I really, um I don't know how I became that way but I do know the importance <laughs> Your child developing uh, and becoming active um, citizens in our country um, that give back because that's what makes our democracy so great is that if you give back, become, you know, maintain the democracy. Um,
0: well, I agree with you, and, and service learning is becoming um, much more popular. There's kind of a resurgence I see, at least. And when I look at many schools, their their websites, their strategic plans, their their things like that. Service learning is becoming um, much more prevalent as part of, of, of their core set of values to help with that that citizenship goal. And um, I also, you mentioned a lot of resources, and I'm going to go ahead and post those in, in my particular blog. And I know if you post this, you'll, you'll reference them as well, just so that anyone listening doesn't feel that they have to write everything down. We'll, we'll make reference to those. And right. when, we, when we talk about learner agency, I recently interviewed students in Jared Harris' class, and we've mentioned her several times, and her students were able to talk about their learning. And right. um, I interviewed several um, students that all of a sudden had a new confidence that they didn't have before, and they were able to articulate that. They, they spoke of Before they felt very rushed because everybody was on a specific timeline. They didn't feel they could get through the work. They didn't love learning. It was very stressful for them. And those learners were able to not just now do and complete the work, but enjoy the work. And they were writing, and their their literacies increased. And they truly—I mean—they smiled when they were talking about learning. And to me, if if we can create that love of learning. Through using these strategies, there's nothing better than that. That will help them um, from here until the end of time. And your promise of agency, I think, is great whether you're a classroom teacher and just want to do that in your classroom or whether it's a district. If if you want to go down this this road, which I'm a firm believer in, is make the promise. It it, it Mm -hmm. holds your, you know, you hold yourself accountable and making this promise really to your learners and to yourself. So I I love listening to you answering that particular question because it's it's a loaded question. There's so much to it. You know, in a few minutes you certainly can't encapsulate all of it. But you know, the courses and other things help people navigate this and have the support as they go through it, particularly if, if their entire district isn't doing it, you know, you're gonna need some supports or a group, and as you talked about, trying to find at least a a small cohort within your school, it helps. It just helps to have people to talk to. So if not getting in your course, or even with it, um, being able to work through that I think would be a great strategy. So I have one last question, and I appreciate you sticking with me for so long, is um, how does personalized learning encourage innovation?
1: Wow. Well, you know, the thing is that, um you know, when you have uh, a learner-centered environment, uh, where kids are co-designing, uh, projects with you, uh, are uh, the rubrics, uh, you know, uh, you know, acquiring the resources, uh, and, and become the questioners, I think that the way innovation works is that kids become the questioners and, uh, not and so, any uh, either project-based, place-based uh, learning, um, problem-based learning, all of those can be initiated by kids. Okay, mm-hmm. and we want kids to be thinking again. You know, this goes all the way back to goals and stuff like that. But if in fact we wanted want kids to really sort of contribute um, to the uh, to the environment, the learning environment, then it can be highly innovative. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we uh need to really focus on kids being the questioner instead mm-hmm. of the, the the teacher. And we actually have a really we actually have a really great chapter, by the way I'll keep going back to there, but um it's called Delve into Deeper Learning. Um, and they are the ones that become part of the developing the solutions or the strategies uh, to get there. I think when you have children, through, you know, um, at the center um, of the learning in the classroom and become, I think it creates a highly innovative uh, environment, um, and you, you're you going to see where kids take. I think innovation is when kids take complete ownership to their learning, <laughs> and um, and become the the drivers um, of their learning. And that's highly innovative. They can contribute to uh, a community. Uh, they can contribute to state government. They can mm-hmm. contribute to uh, a project with uh, and collaborate with uh, kids uh, anywhere in the world. Um, our problems are, are not unique to us, okay, right. but uh, it kids sort of that, um, that, level of self-confidence, that agency, and the ability mm-hmm. to create um, then I think you'd create a highly innovative uh, environment. Um, and one that you love to work in. So most people will tell you that having learned an environment, um, you never go back to traditional teaching ever again. Mm-hmm. Because it's, uh, the kids uh, again become the drivers around the learning and, and they're and the contributing to the, to the greater good in the greater world. Um, we need to help them to become active participants and, um, and, and, and feel that they can actually contribute and change the world um, if they need to. So, uh, and that's going forward because when they leave, you know, um, they're going to be a part of a, a really global community and we want to give them those experiences in the classroom And also have them, by the way, really follow their passions um, and have those experiences. We have something called Extended Learning Opportunities here in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Basically, we have kids going out into the world and trying things out that they're interested in. Um, I think that's innovative in education. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a way to get kids connected and and, and, and inspired and motivated uh, in fields that they love to do because... Once you follow your something that you love to do, you truly have uh, your purpose. Um, okay, and your purpose in life. And um, I know that's a it doesn't sound like innovation, but it is. Uh, if you can imagine if that you could follow your your passion uh, mm-hmm. to find your purpose, how great for children to be able to really to achieve that. So that we, um, I'm not too sure if you interview many adults. Um, mm-hmm. If they actually uh, have a life of purpose, but it would mm-hmm. be great have children to be able to do that um, and to support them in their passions.
0: So. Well, I I agree I, with you. I sorry I to interrupt that. you. <laughs> no, I I think your your answer is great because I feel you know, and I've I've talked with you know some some educators, and well, personalization is innovative. Oh, yes. It, it creates the culture of innovation. It's right. that, You know, the, the confidence, the, you know, embracing your passion, understanding your strengths because right. that's where innovation is going to emerge, the ability to um, form teams based on your strengths driven by the learner. You know, right. in, in our work, when you get out into in the world and, and start receiving a paycheck, you tend to, there are teams that you're, Built into, or that are um, represented or formed for you, but then you also have your your passion groups. You tend to gravitate to to certain people and um, create another type of type of team. So it's you know being able to for these students to be able to have that confidence, understand their strengths, understand how they like to learn, because when you get into a new job, you have a lot to learn, and for them to be able to do that, they're going to be um, much more valuable to their organization much more quickly. Because they're gonna be able to wade through any of the learning they need to do in a way that works for them. So, right. it's, it's absolutely to me, I, I see them as tied together and very tightly connected. So, thank you for bringing that connection um, home and, and being able to introduce it in such a way that um, that you know the science kind of supports it. So, I appreciate your time today. Your interview was absolutely wonderful, and I, like I said, I will go ahead and link to all of your um, your materials, resources, etc., and other people can benefit or sign up to your course and you know learn as much about personalized learning and, and get it into the classrooms and really start helping our students um, to have that personalized experience and to achieve that learner agency. If we can get there, I think. That that's something very special, if, if that's what the, the way um, the direction we go in, you know.
1: Yeah, so uh, Christine, I really appreciate that you asked me to do this today because uh, I just think that we have to have more conversations and um, and around uh, all of this, especially around learner agency, how UDL can be the really the driver, uh, and the UDL wants to drive uh, and develop agency with learners, and. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole idea of creating a promise, um, because what else? Why are kids coming to school, um, and do they really need to come to school each day? Mm -hmm. Um, um, (laughs) That's a big question. That's a very big question. So, (laughs) going forward, uh, you know, if you help learners develop agency, you know, kids are actually going out there and learning many things on their own, and Mm -hmm. that's great. Kids really need to they're very resourceful, um, and but what's really important is that teachers are working with children to develop agency um, mm-hmm. all the classroom, and you right. can do that, people will say, geez, you know what? Um, I mean I have to need a set of standards, so I want you I want to leave you with uh, a really good resource um, in our work around personalized learning, we actually uh, followed the work of Chris Watkins. Um, mm-hmm. At ChrisWatkins.net, and um, he is a 25-year researcher on learning. And um, one of the things that we learned in his research, uh, to leave with you know the teachers that listen to this um, podcast, is he says that in his research, if you focus on learning, uh, you actually improve performance. But if you focus on performance, you decrease performance. So so the reason to develop learner agency with every mm-hmm. child because it is about the learning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is about the child understanding how to learn and to have mm-hmm. the skills to support their own learning. Um, and you're going to have incredible results if you do that um, in the
0: end. I love it. That is a, that is a brilliant quote to end on. And the one thing I want to tell you is that I've interviewed teachers here that are in that Moraki group that are personalizing learning and they say they will never go back. They would never right. ever go back to traditional teaching. One one teacher locked eyes with me and she said, I would quit. If I was told that I had to go back to the traditional method of teaching, I would quit. She didn't want right. to do it. I mean it has transformed the experience for her student as well as for her. And, you know, I have multiple examples of that, and that's largely inspired by your work. So I can't thank you enough for, you know, doing your service project by getting this information out in such a way that we can consume it and it makes it easy to, be, to take action. So thank you very much.
1: Well, I, I want to tell you that if you actually go out on our website, there is a discount code mm-hmm. for our book. So okay. if you go to How the personalized Learning tab, Mm -hmm. Um, you'll actually see a little video, but you'll actually see a discount code, a 20% discount code if you purchase it through um, Cole and Press. So that's there. I mean, people can purchase it through different means, but um, I just wanted to make everyone aware of that. So both books. Thank you. Perfect.
0: Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Christine. I absolutely will